Hello, and welcome to the Reach or Miss Show, the podcast for the customer-focused entrepreneur, where Hayut Yogev speaks with entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs about reaching or missing the critical point of approaching the right customer with the right message at the right time and place. The point where business success starts. And here is your host, Hayut Yogev. Rich Omis, episode 87. Hey, Richards, it's Monday morning, and I'm so happy to be here with you. Today, I'm going to talk about the biggest risks of entrepreneurship, from failing through the lowest places of bankruptcy, a loss, or a tragedy, to reaching the highest levels of entrepreneurship success. On the one hand, entrepreneurship looks like the ultimate dream. Countless posts offer tips and tricks to leave the 9-to-5 job behind and find your freedom or be your own boss. On the other hand, most people prefer to keep the entrepreneurial journey as a desirable dream. Establishing and managing your own brand new business is incredibly challenging, especially because it involves taking high-level risks. On my interviews with more than 70 successful entrepreneurs and opinion leaders for the Rich or Miss podcast, successes and failures both get a meaningful share of each show. Every entrepreneur experiences both. Yet, a few of my guests tumbled down to rock bottom, and then they discovered their strengths and the path to success. I would like to share with you four of the most amazing stories I've heard over the last year and a half since starting my podcast. One of my most surprising and exciting interviews was with Bruce Van Horn, who started his story by saying, I'm an executive and life coach, as well as a business and leadership consultant. I survived stage four prostate cancer, the death of my daughter, a divorce, and two bankruptcies. I had a bankruptcy that happened a couple of years after my daughter's death, just before my divorce. I was at the very low point of my life, and I hated everything about my life at that point, he said. I think it is an amazing story, not only because the tough experience Bruce went through, but because of his journey to reach a meaningful, fulfilling level of success. Bruce Van Horn is a best-selling author, speaker, thought leader, transformational life coach, business and leadership coach, marathon runner, and cancer conqueror. Bruce hosts the Life is a Marathon podcast, which has millions of listeners in over 210 countries around the world. Bruce is passionate about sharing his life experiences and respected insight to help people overcome their negative thinking and limiting beliefs and develop a winning mindset. Bruce loves coaching people to become the fullest expression of who they were created to be. He lives in Richmond, Virginia. Bruce Van Horn, what a pleasure to have you here. Hi. It's such a pleasure. Thank you for, for giving me the opportunity. It's great having you here. Thank you for coming. I just shared with our listeners what you have done until now, and I would like to ask you to share with us what are you doing and most passionate about today, and where are you heading? 
what I do now. I speak. I am an executive and life coach, a, a business and leadership consultant. I've been doing this for about six years now. I, I realized that all of the experiences that I had had in my life, personal tragedies of my life, I lost everything, filing bankruptcy a couple years after my daughter's death. And just on the, uh, just before my divorce, I was at a very, very low place in my life to the point where I was actually suicidal. I was driving around my hometown for bridge overpasses to jump off of. I, at that point, I had two boys. Um, it was my, my middle daughter who passed away, but I didn't even like being a dad. I dreaded waking up every morning. I just hated everything about my life at that point. And it was actually through the process of running a marathon. My older brother challenged me. He was a marathon runner. And so he challenged me to run a marathon that year with him. Now, I thought he was crazy. I didn't <laughs> want to do it. But I, I was like, you know what? Why not? And it was actually through the process of running a marathon that I learned so much about myself and what it was that was holding me back in my life. I was at that point in total victim mode. I had a long list of everything that was wrong with my life and things that hadn't gone right in my life. And I had a correspondingly long list of everybody or, or everything that was to blame for those problems. And I, I wasn't on that list. Uh -huh. And what I learned after getting very far into marathon training was that if you aren't successful at training for your own marathon, that's all on you. Personal accountability, personal responsibility is the only way to run a marathon. If you don't do the training, you can't blame somebody else. You can't subcontract it. You know, you can't hire a marketing team to go out and do your marathon training mm -hmm. and then blame them if it doesn't work well. And I realized that the number one problem that I had in my life was a thinking problem. Mm -hmm. I, it was a thinking problem. And I got up every morning and I did my marathon training and I realized, that, first of all, you can't train for a marathon with a negative mindset about whether or not you can do it. You know, if, if you keep waking up every morning and say, oh, I just can't do this, I can't do this, your body will eventually say, you know what, you're right, we can't. But if you wake up with a mindset that says, you know what, not only can I do this, but I'm going to do this and I know exactly why. I'm going to do this. And so it's all about having a big why. And as I had completely transformed my body, I was no longer overweight and out of shape. I was a marathon runner. And I realized that my, my brother very early on said something I thought was absolutely ridiculous. He said, Bruce, the hardest part about running a marathon is making the decision to do it. Now, I thought that was crazy because I thought the hardest part about running a marathon was the actual running part. But he was right, but I misunderstood him. The hardest part about running a marathon is making the decision to do it. But I thought he was talking about a decision that you make once. But this is a decision that you have to make every single day of your life to get up, to do the things necessary to become the person that you believe that you're capable of becoming. And once I realized that about how it transformed my body, I started to apply that philosophy to every area of my life. 
And so my finances started to turn around again after my second bankruptcy. My relationships got better. I started enjoying my life Mm -hmm. and people started to notice that I was no longer a negative, pessimistic, sarcastic person. And they started asking me what was going on in my life. And so I just started telling them and I got invited to be somebody's life coach. He was in sales. And he said, dude, I don't know what it is that you've got, but I want it. And I want to hire you to be my life coach. And I had never even heard of the phrase life coach before. I had heard about consultants and and I knew all about psychologists and counselors and therapy and all of that. But so he told me his idea of a life coach. And I was like, all right, whatever, I'll, I'll do this. And he paid me $20 per session. We met at a Starbucks for coffee once a week. And it just worked really, really well. And I found that that was really my gift was being able to, I I realized that all of the experiences that I had had in my life between, you know, being very involved in large businesses, understanding leadership and going through the personal tragedies of my life and coming out on the other side of them, having been better person for having had those experiences really set me up to what I do for a living now, which is is working with people on their mindset, on their businesses, on their visions, helping them, you know, have an endurance mindset, helping them climb the mountains <laughs> of, their, of life. their life, both both physically and metaphorically. But really, it's about ascending. I, I discovered yoga and I discovered meditation and really getting very clear about your state of consciousness. So sort of how I got to where I am now and and what I do. And so I what I do now is I, I speak. I am an executive and life coach, a, a business and leadership consultant. So I work with businesses pretty much of all sizes, everything from you know 10 to 15, 20 employees or a solopreneur all the way up to to large corporations. I, I talk about branding and energy within within businesses and how the the idea that the uh, the biggest enemy of your business is thinking that you have competition <laughs> and that kind of people's world because we're we live in a very competitive culture and when I show up to a business and say you know what you've got to completely forget the word competition. You have to create the the greatest products. You have to create, create the greatest customer experience. And when you are so focused on the act of creation, competition is irrelevant. I agree with you so much. I say it for years and I couldn't agree more. How long have you doing this new way of thinking with people? How long since you've started to be a life coach together with your consultancy? Yeah, so I've been doing this for about six years now. I I took an entire year off in 2014. I was I was diagnosed. I had stage four prostate cancer, and the the treatment for that and the surgery for that had a lot of complications. And so I took almost a year off. I, I maintained uh, just a handful of clients during that time, but I really focused on recovery. I also focused more on my mindset yeah. and focusing. Again, we will always fo- we will always get more of what we focus on. 
And so it kind of, I, I had to teach my doctors how to work with me because I don't want, I did not allow them to talk to me about cancer or fighting disease. You know, whatever it is that you're fighting will only grow. And so I, I had to work with my doctors on talking to me about health and strength. And, you know, I said, don't come in here and talk to me about cancer or or, or fighting the disease. I, I said, let's talk about strength and getting healthier. Uh, you know, it's like their competitors, isn't it? Exactly. You know, and so my, 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 my surgeon told me, he, he came to my bedside and he said, Bruce, you know, I know that you love to run marathons. I just have to, as your doctor, I just have to break some bad news to you. I had to do a lot of cutting inside your abdomen, including the muscles that, that are your core strength muscles. And he said, I think we might in about six to seven months be able to get you back to easy jogging. Hmm. And maybe at some point in a year or so, you can start running 5Ks or 10Ks just for fun. But I think the days of your competitive running and certainly the days of your marathon running are over. And I said, well, okay, thank you for your concern. <laughs> you shared it with me from a position of love and just wanting to you know, not set me up for failure. But his agreement with reality was not my agreement with reality. And on the one-year anniversary of me coming home from the hospital, about the time he thought I might run my first 10K, I ran the Boston Marathon. And so he's, he was pretty shocked at that and was thought thought I was pushing too hard but but again it, it's all about you know what you believe is possible and taking the action to do it and and completely eliminating negative thinking from your life because the only thing that that holds you back you know I, I don't know what everybody's spiritual belief is about God or whatever but if we believe this there is this all-powerful force in the universe, There are no obstacles. There is nothing that is impossible for this force, for, for God. And I believe that all of us are made from this being and by this being, or there is a part of that divine nature in each of us. And so if we feel like there are obstacles, or if we feel like we're overwhelmed, or we're worried, or we're anxious, we're not tapped into That part of us that is divine and focused on creating and focused on just enjoying life. And so I bring all of this to, to the corporate world, and you know, that, that's kind of what I do. Hmm. I heard the story of Jeff Bullas at least twice, once from Jeff himself, in his fascinating interview on my show. The same story you will hear next. The second time, I heard the story from Mark Schaefer, who used Jeff's story as an example of finding yourself in a low point of your life and leveraging it to the top of the world by becoming a known influencer in your field. Today, Jeff is one of the most awarded social media experts with more than 560 Twitter followers. Jeff Bullis. What a pleasure. I'm so happy to have you here. It's great to be here and um, look forward to having a chat. Jeff Bullis is a digital entrepreneur, marketing blogger, keynote speaker, digital strategist, consultant, and best-selling author. He works with companies and executives 
to grow their online personal brand businesses through social, digital, and marketing automation. And he gets over 5 million visitors to his blog per year. Jeff was listed on Forbes as one of the top 20 influencers of CMOs for 2017 and was ranked by Apollo as the number one global digital marketing influencer for 2016. I just shared with our audience what you did until now. Can you tell me a bit about the Jeff Bullis company? It's a company for many years, isn't it? Um, yes, I, it started as a passion project, so it really wasn't, didn't, wasn't any big idea to be another Facebook or anything like that. It was just uh, started from reading David Meerman Scott's The New Rules of Marketing and PR in 2008, and he talked about the power of content to attract an audience, and uh, instead of having to go and chase them with outbound cold calling and other different tactics that have been around for decades. And I thought that sounded actually like a good idea because I've built businesses using cold calling, work for corporations using cold calling and other outbound tactics. And this is in the era when the you know, web really didn't exist. Uh, so um, then I came upon Tim Ferriss' four-hour work week, which talked about building a business in this digital world. And I went, okay, I like the idea. And then last piece of inspiration um, was uh, reading a blog post by HubSpot. And it said, if you have an inkling of what you want to write about or start a business on, start a blog. So I thought, what's a blog? So that's... That was the inspiration. So I discovered a blog was just a place to actually create and share ideas with the world. And the topic uh, was inspired by my observation about what was happening uh, with social networks. Everyone was obsessed with Facebook and Twitter and Pinterest and Instagram. And I went, wow, okay, there's something going on here. So my topic uh, that I started to create content around was social media and the tech world. And, and then mobile showed up. And so that's how JeffWillis.com started. But at the time, I was actually uh, unemployed. But a few weeks later, I got a job in a digital agency where we built e-commerce sites for companies. And um, so, but I continued to write and create and publish on my blog late at night initially. And then I got up at 4.30 a.m. for the next four years um, before I started my day job and just created content and then shared it and then hustled out to the global audience. That's how we really got started. When was it? When did you start your blog? I'm curious about that. It started in March 2009. So it. Wow. Yeah, so it's it's a while now, actually. So it's eight years. And uh, so what happened after starting and I worked for four years for this digital agency and uh, eventually I was going overseas, taking leave without pay. And I said, well, Jeff, you're not really interested in our business too much. We'll cut you down to three days a week and then two days a week. And Finally, about three and a half years ago, they said, well, Jeff, why don't you contract back to us, you know, a few hours a week and you can focus on your blog. And I went, okay. So the passion project Mm -hmm. had been tipped into a full-time business and uh, it's been growing ever since and we've been having fun. It doesn't feel like work. It's um, built up a virtual team and we have an editor, we have a marketing manager, we have copywriters, we have tech guy, we have a marketing automation person. So it's started just as a passion project that escaped the lab. The story of Josh Elledge is not only a story of failing miserably and making a living as a salesperson for five difficult years, and it's not only the story of building the incredible successful Saving Angels business. It's a story of building a whole new market niche by listening to the customers and reaching an impressive success 
as a PR company of a new kind. I have today with me Josh Elledge. Josh, how great to have you here with me. Ayu, thank you very much for having me. Josh Elledge is the founder and CEO of App and PR and is about to change an entire industry with the mission to help entrepreneurs attract the perfect audiences through PR. Josh is Chief Executive Angel at SavingsAngel.com and helps consumers get discounts and upgrades on everything through his syndicated newspaper column with 1.1 million readers and on TV in 75 cities. He has been in the media more than 1,500 times. Through his new model of PR, Josh now turns digital entrepreneurs into media celebrities at appandpr.com. Josh, I just shared your bio and talked about what you did until now. And I want to ask you, what is your biggest, most critical failure oh. with customers, the one that affected your entrepreneurial journey the most? Can you tell us about this? Yes, yes. So when I owned a small town newspaper, Hayut, one job that I had to do at the beginning, but I really was so uncomfortable with it, was actually was selling. Um, and, and because I had a belief that selling was simply trying to convince somebody of something. And because of that, I felt so scared and I ended up failing in business miserably as a result of that. And so my next position after that business went bankrupt, and I mean literally bankrupt. It was, it was a very painful experience, but I needed that uh, experience to, to, to really push me outside my comfort zone. So for the next five years, I did sales and marketing for a network of law firms, and I was basically expected to sell every single day uh, you know if I wanted to make any money is mostly commission based and so you have to imagine this was so uncomfortable for me particularly at the beginning but then I, I evolved over the over the course of five years to the point where I said you know what this has absolutely nothing to do with convincing people but this has to do with listening to people's needs and finding out if I can help them and if I can't then that's fine or maybe the way I can help them is by recommending a different product or service or making a personal connection maybe that was how I could bring uh, mo the most value to that person in that moment and when that shift happened Hayut uh, I my income was It instantly went through the roof my I mean I loved what I did I woke up happy to do my work and I just enjoyed the customers and clients that I had the the privilege of working with I just absolutely loved the work that I did and that was with the law firm with the yeah and marketing yeah and it was good because it really prepared me for savings angel because by the time I launched savings angel I had no you fear I, i i honestly believe that i don't really have any fear of of asking for things or asking for a sale uh because i know in my heart of hearts um that 
what I'm asking for would be a win-win or would be, you know, of tremendous value for that person. And ultimately it's their decision. Um, but I, I just remember, you know, breaking the back of fear in sales. And now at this point, it's, it's like, it's hard for me to even remember what it was like mm. to be afraid of being rejected. I don't care if someone rejects me, they're not rejecting me. They're just saying that, no, that's not a fit for them in that moment. And, you know, that it would probably be better for me to see if there's a different way that I can bring value to that person. Wow. It's a lovely story. Can you tell me how did this company start? What was your first steps there? You know, um, if we refer to, so my first company, not my first company, actually, it was my seventh company, um, wow. but the first one to really do well um, was Savings Angel, uh, which I launched 10 years ago. And we've actually, uh, when I started it, I started it because it was something that I needed. Uh, my dear wife and I were trying to be really smart with our money. And so... As I was studying you know how to be smart with your money, um, I, we started putting together a budget, and as I was putting together that budget, Hayut, one item on that budget was our grocery bill. And I remember asking my wife, I, I asked her, I said, "How much do we spend at the grocery store every month?" And this and again, we're in the United States, and I was guessing maybe we spent about four or five hundred dollars, and she laughed at me. <laughs> she said, "Are you kidding? We spend like eight, nine hundred dollars a month and And I remember just being so shocked, and I thought, "My gosh, that is a lot of money. Every single month, boom, eight to nine hundred dollars is just gone. And I thought there's got to be a better way. And so I started studying all of the experts and there are a couple of different ways that you can really save a lot of money on food. Number one is you can grow all your own food, but I knew that that wouldn't work well for me because I tried that in the past. Um, and then the only other way that's really effective is that you have to take advantage of incentives from manufacturers and retailers. And so those are coupons and sales and you have to match them at the same time. And then um, particularly in countries like the United States, you can actually do quite well and you can get products every single week for pennies on the dollar. And I was able to very quickly take our eight to nine hundred dollar a month grocery bill and cut it down to about three to four hundred dollars wow. a month. And I thought, oh, my goodness, if everybody else had access to this information that I'm putting together, this could be pretty valuable. And so we created a membership based website and a lot of people did find it helpful. And and, uh, you know, at the beginning, too, I didn't have any money for marketing. So instead, I just started doing PR. I was a journalist previously in the United States Navy and then also had owned a small town newspaper for a couple of years. And so I knew a little bit about how to do it. And we just started getting in the media everywhere. I was going on radio. I started writing a newspaper column, which is now a syndicated newspaper column to over a million readers every single week. Wow. Um, I'm, on, I'm in TV in 75 cities Uh, two to four times a month. Uh, and all told, I've been in the media over 1,500 times. And as a result, Hayut, we have earned, we're actually getting close to $6 million now uh, for Savings Angel. And we've spent less than $500 in traditional advertising. Um, everything we do is PR. We just serve audiences. And so 
you know, my success with that led to invitations to start speaking on this subject. And uh, so I started getting approached by a lot of entrepreneurs, as you can imagine, asking, can you help me do exactly what you did? And so that's what became Upend PR, uh, which we launched a couple of years ago. And uh, we're going through phenomenal growth because we just do things that startups and digital entrepreneurs need and and we really try to eliminate the stuff that they don't need and it's amazing because when you do that it ends up becoming a perfect solution for them and they do need a solution here and now I want and I know there are a lot but you will have to choose I want to ask you about your biggest success yeah it, in with savings angel it was the time that I had been featured in my local small town paper and that was very exciting I started doing some work in radio but then all of a sudden I got I want to say either an email or a phone call from a reporter and it was from the Grand Rapids press in Grand Rapids Michigan which was that's a decent size paper and they wanted to do an interview with me about savings angel and how you um, you know I, I really just took my experience in working in media and I, I feel like I gave a good interview to the reporter and she goes well, I guess I need to let you know that this is going this is a pretty good story and we're actually going to put this on the front page of the mission wow. and I thought oh my goodness I mean this could be really good for business and sure enough I That was my first day where we earned, and I'm guessing it was between maybe six and eight hundred dollars in one day, which doesn't sound like a lot of money for most of us at today. Um, but at the time, um, that was just one day's earnings. And again, our model was a subscription model. So that was so that meant that, you know, we would earn six to eight hundred dollars on that day every single month. Um, and and then we made more the next day. But, I, you know, I remember that first day where we made that much money in one day in sales. And I think a lot of us, you know, when we start a business, remember that first good money day and. And we're like, oh, my gosh, you know, this thing could really take off. I mean, this could really get really good for us. And from that day forward, Hayut, with your wife and I, we've never had to worry about money again. And um, that's a great place to be. And if, if you're listening to this conversation and they're not quite there yet, trust me, have the faith, keep serving. It works. will happen you will get better at what you do you will learn more about what your audience wants from you and you can pivot you can change you can tweak you can improve and eventually you're going to come up with the perfect solution that they're asking for and it's going to be where they say you know what it is absolutely worth every dime of me of mine to give to you so that I can have that product or service and if you can get it to that point it's pretty lovely because you <laughs> Your, your your income will just be taken care of and it's a great place to be a great place to be Mark Hamion's story is the only story that starts with several impressive successes and ends for now with the failure that actually caused Mark to leave his technological world of experience and look for a totally new path of success by creating art Mark Hamion is an artist and designer living and painting on the north shore of Hawaii. Previously, Mark was the founder of Design Inc. and has co-founded a number of companies, including North Technologies, which merged with Hodinki.com in 2015, and the co-founder of Flick, which YouTube acquired in 2011. 
Following the acquisition, Mark was part of the team to redesign YouTube in 2011 and again in 2012 leading the site-wide redesign. Previously, Mark led design teams at Oakley and Digg and co-founded a number of companies including T-Fury and Design by Humans. Mark Hamian, it's a pleasure to have you here. Hi. Hi. Right from Hawaii. Right from Hawaii. That's great. It's really great to have you here. And I just shared with our listeners what you've done until now. And I would like you to share with us what are you most passionate about today and where are you heading? I've always been someone who likes to make things, whether it's applications or software or art. And I, uh, I'm actually kind of, I'm a recovering entrepreneur, I like to say, I guess. Last <laughs> year, last year I, closed, um, I closed a startup that I had founded. Uh, we can get into this a little bit later, but I closed a startup that I founded in California, sold my house and kind of took a break from tech. After 20 years of tech, kind of took a break and moved out here to the North Shore of the island of Oahu, uh, where my wife is from. Oh. And we've been here, yeah, we've been here almost a year now. And currently, I am trying a different hat on. Currently, I'm trying to paint and trying to do art and trying to create things that uh, inspire people. And my current medium is waves and thinking about the ups and downs that we've all faced as entrepreneurs and startup folks and how difficult that might be. It seems, I don't know, it's funny. I, I thought that painting would be a bit of a rest, but it's actually... proving to be quite challenging and quite hard, but um, it's, it's been a, a nice break for my mind. I think it's great, and uh, I must tell our listeners that you told me perhaps I won't be interesting anymore because you're on a break and <laughs> making art right now. And I thought it's such a great opportunity because, you know, we are all together in these waves and ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I think a lot of times we are successful. even when we decide to close, because this is part of being successful. I remember some magazine many, many years ago about leadership. And great leaders talked about who is a real leader, as they said. And uh, one of them, which I really admired, said that a great leader, the most successful ones, are those who can stand failures in a row. Mm-hmm. And I was very young and I was shocked. I thought the successful leaders, the great ones, are those who are succeeding all the time. That's why I think it's such a great opportunity, and I really thank you for that. Well, you're welcome. I'm happy to fail so that other people can. <laughs> There is a paradox in all these great quotes we read that you learn so much from failing, and it's all about the experience. But I got to tell you something from, from the, my point of view. When you fail, it really sucks. It hurts. You let a lot of people down. People lose their jobs, investors lose their money. There's real consequence. And I don't want to glaze over the real consequence of failure. It's, there's consequences. There's bad stuff that happens. It isn't all like, okay, well, I learned a big lesson and I'm a better person for it. It hurts. It leaves scar tissue. Sure. It hurts. And exactly like you, I've experienced some failures and everybody. Everybody does. Mm-hmm. 
I have one of the questions is about the biggest, most critical failure with customers. And they have awful stories of failures, <laughs> really, really hard ones and a lot of scars. And a lot of people that, that they have disappointed, um, not to talk about their families. Mm-hmm. But as Jeff Bullis, I think, I, I don't know whether you know Jeff Bullis. He is, is one of the greatest people, and he has more than uh, half a million followers on Twitter. And he had some very bad <laughs> period in his time. As he said, and I think almost everybody said, that the biggest failure was the seed for the biggest successes. And I feel it for myself as well. So I always really believe that any failure is really because you are, you know how to treat things differently and sometimes it's throw you to another direction and perhaps this is the direction for you. It's always like that. And I love that. It's very important not to look at entrepreneurship as start a company, you do a bunch of stuff and then you sell it and you make a bunch of money. Start a company, do a bunch of stuff, take it public on a stock market and make a bunch of money. That is not the point of doing startups. That is not the point of building anything. And in fact, you look in the news today, Facebook is being challenged with their privacy concerns. Uber, of course, sure. Uber had leadership issues. Airbnb hasn't gone public yet either. You know, there, there's all these interesting things about what people define as successful. And just because you look at someone's Instagram account or just because someone has half a million followers or just because someone is speaking at conferences or they're giving out advice, that doesn't necessarily mean they're successful. And what I mean by that is each individual has to define what success means for them. Hmm. There's probably three or four kind of main vectors on this. Number one would probably be a lot of people would say financial success, meaning they have enough money to be independent about the decisions that they make with their time, where they go, you know. So that's one version of success. And that's what most folks define success as I've made enough money to now do what I want. There's another kind of success, though, that says, you know what, I'm not going to wait for the money. I'm going to do what I want to do now. And that's easy. That's easy. You don't have to sit there in your job and be depressed and pissed off. Just stop doing it and go do the thing that you want to do and be happier. Maybe you don't make as much money, but you're going to be a happier individual. That's another level of success. There's a third level of success that has nothing to do with money or, or with kind of your personal selfish happiness. And maybe that's familial success, you know, meaning maybe a, maybe a parent or a sister or brother or aunt needs you right now. And so you put everything on hold hmm. and you go spend time with them so you can have those bonds that you're not going to have anymore, that no money can buy. That's and right. so in the fourth, I would say what I have found to be my biggest thing is uh, just autonomy, meaning having choice, having the power to choose every day how I spend my time. And when you take money for folks, you know, we had a short intro there. I had what, what people would call a success. I had a startup in 2010 that got acquired by YouTube and Google. I spent four years working there at YouTube and Google and loved it. And hmm. they acquired our company. We had a cash windfall from that. It was more of an aqua hire, not necessarily an acquisition. Yeah. So, but it was still great. We were able, our family was able to buy a home. I was able to pay off tons of debt that I had accumulated from years of building startups. And I thought wrongly, but I thought I was a good entrepreneur because I had an exit. But you know what? I, it didn't what? matter. Like I, got, I just got lucky. I just got lucky. We had a great team and I just was a lucky random dude with a bunch of other you know, talented engineers. And we just got lucky. It doesn't mean we were good entrepreneurs. 
Because we got acquired does not mean we are good or better than any other entrepreneur out there who is racking their brains, trying to find market fit, having a tough time. You're just as good as any company that gets acquired. Ship, a company I love, S-H-Y-P, shut down today. They were oh. incredible. That, that startup was amazing. Their founder, brilliant, killer team. I used it once. It was like magic. I hit a button. A guy shows up at my house, grabbed the thing I wanted to ship off the table, put it in a bag, and it was gone. It was so cool. And th that story is repeated every day. Thousands of brilliant, smart folks, you know, don't hit financial success. So we have to change the discussion on what success really means. And we have to kind of, I don't know, force people to ask the question to themselves, what is most important to you? What are you trying to get out of this thing? If you're building a company, like, what is the reason really? Why? You know what I mean? Are you trying to make money? You want to get famous? You want people to tell you that you're important? You want to find meaning? Like, what is it? Because you got to figure that out for yourself. Because if you don't, you're just going to be wasting your time and you're going to be wasting everyone, your investors' time and everybody else. The pure ones are the ones who find a problem that resonates deep in their heart that they really care about solving. They don't care about speaking engagements. They don't care about, you know, how many likes and retweets they get. They just don't give a shit. They just want to solve this problem because they care so deeply about it. And I got to tell you, when you look at Larry and Sergey, and jump in, sorry, I'm like getting all excited yeah. here. You know, when Larry and Sergey built Google, they were at Stanford. They were yeah. PhD candidates. They loved the problem. They didn't want to build a company. They just wanted to figure out how to like find stuff on the web. And the most successful companies start like this. That's right. I think, first of all, I loved the way you describe success. And also this story that you're telling, I love it. And I want to tell you, first of all, for me, success is being happy. Mm -hmm. I've been in marketing 30 years. Most of them, I was senior executive and I didn't have my company. I never planned to. And I am just, I say that for 32 years, I enjoy so much what I'm doing because I love this magic of marketing. And I do agree with you that success is on everything. It's the way you define it for yourself. And let me just add, before people like turn off the podcast, I know it's really cliche to say that, right? People say that all the time. Well, it's like, it's happiness as a, but take it from somebody who's done, I think, seven or eight startups at this point. And I'll tell you, if your motivation is purely money, even if you win, even if you get the money you want, you sell your company, you get $100 million in the bank, you're going to be miserable. You're going to be pissed off and miserable because you weren't doing it for the right reasons and you're going to lose everyone around you. And, you know, shake your head and be like, yeah, whatever, I'll be pretty happy with $100 million. But I tell you, I know folks who have this kind of money. They're not happier. They're just not. They're not happier. That's what I saw. They're kind of punks. They're kind of mean-spirited folks. No, they there are people. I think there are people that have this amount of money and they are very, very happy. <laughs> but not only because of the money, but also because right. of the money. And there are people that don't have any of that and they are very happy. And I think that's what I found during my years in other people's companies. Mm -hmm. What I found out that those who has money are not happier than those who doesn't. And that's help you. That's release you. But money is an important part of our lives because that's only, the only way to live. Yeah, you need it. Yeah, we have and it's okay. When I was up to my ears in debt too, by the way, 
Yeah. I used to hate, I'd listen to these podcasts and I'd listen to some guy or gal who's made it and they say shit like, oh, well, money doesn't matter. I'm like, yeah, easy for you to say. I can't even like pay my bills. I can't even put gas in my car. So I've, so I've, so for those who are listening who are struggling on that financial, like I get it. Like you can't think straight if you're in debt up to your ears and if you can't pay your bills. It is the most stressful, terrible thing. And if you're going through that, you know, my heart goes out to you. I've totally been there. I had a point where we moved up. I worked, uh, I did design for a company called Dig, dig dig.com in San Francisco in 2008 or so. And, uh, we had nothing. I moved up there with three kids. I was the only employee with kids, I think. I was married with three kids, young kids. Hmm. And we rented the crappiest house, and the heat didn't work, and we would all sleep in the same bed at night. Wow. And I'd go, I'd go to fill up gas in the morning. I didn't know if I'd have enough money to make it into work because we were just paycheck to paycheck, you know? But working at Dig, I met some friends who were engineers, And we started working on our little startup at night, and that's what led to YouTube and Google. So had I never made that sacrifice to move my family up to San Francisco and, you know, not have just kind of, I don't know, it was a a huge sacrifice. San Francisco is very expensive. But had I never done that, I would have never landed at YouTube and Google. And I would never, I just, I don't know, I wouldn't be here right now, I'll tell you that. That's right. That's right. I think our journey has so much beauty in being our journey and it's okay to go for the things that you believe in and for you our listeners until the next time it all goes down to this you either reach or miss keep reaching your goals and vision bye thank you for listening to the reach or miss show the podcast for the customer focused entrepreneur You can find all the information, links, and resources that was mentioned at the show in our website, reachormiss.com. See you next week.